brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. Tomorrow is the great feast of Pentecost. And it's worth beginning to think about now. So today and tomorrow I have some material for you about Pentecost. And I think what better way on a Saturday than to start than with the words of one of the great holy popes on this. So what I have is Pope St. Leo the Great speaking about Pentecost, about the work of the Holy Ghost, which according to the great saint and doctor of the church, did not begin at Pentecost itself. The work of the Holy Ghost didn't begin on this day, but began well before it. But it was really continued because the Holy Trinity is one in action and will, according to Pope St. Leo the Great. So without further ado, Sermon 77 of Pope St. Leo the Great on the work of the Holy Ghost before and after and during Pentecost. Today's festival, dearly beloved, which is held in reverence by the whole world, has been hallowed by that advent of the Holy Ghost, which on the fiftieth day after the Lord's resurrection descended on the apostles and the multitude of believers, even as it was hoped. And there was this hope, because the Lord Jesus had promised that he should come, not then first to be the indweller of the saints, but to kindle to a greater heat, and to fill with larger abundance the hearts that were dedicated to him, increasing, not commencing, his gifts, not fresh in operation, but richer, because richer in bounty. For the majesty of the Holy Ghost is never separate from the omnipotence of the Father and the Son, and whatever the divine government accomplishes in the ordering of all things, proceeds from the providence of the whole trinity. Therein exists unity and mercy and loving kindness, unity and judgment and justice, nor is there any division in action where there is no divergence of will. What therefore the Father enlightens, the Son enlightens, and the Holy Ghost enlightens. And while there is one person of the sent, another of the sender, and another of the promiser, both the unity and the trinity are at the same time revealed to us, so that the essence which possesses equality and does not admit of solitariness is understood to belong to the same substance, but not to the same person. The fact, therefore, that with the cooperation of the inseparable Godhead still perfect, certain things are performed by the Father, certain by the Son, certain by the Holy Spirit, in particular belongs to the ordering of our redemption and the method of our salvation. For if man, made after the image and likeness of God, had retained the dignity of his own nature, and had not been deceived by the devil's wiles into transgressing through lust the law laid down before him, the creator of the world would not have become a creature, the eternal would not have entered the sphere of time, nor the godson, who is the equal with God the Father, have assumed the form of a servant in the likeness of sinful flesh. But because by the devil's malice death entered into the world, see Wisdom chapter 2, verse 24, and captive humanity could not otherwise be set free without his undertaking our cause, who without loss of his majesty should both become true man and alone have no taint of sin? The mercy of the Trinity divided for itself the work of our restoration in such a way that the Father should be propitiated, the Son should propitiate, and the Holy Ghost enkindle. For it was necessary that those who are to be saved should also do something on their part, and by the turning of their hearts to the Redeemer should quit the dominion of the enemy, even as the Apostle says, 
God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Cry, Abba, Father. See Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. See 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. And no one can call Jesus Lord except in the Holy Spirit. See 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. It is therefore under this guiding grace, dearly beloved, we faithfully and wisely understand what is the particular work of the Father under the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and what is common to the three in our restoration. We shall, without doubt, so accept what has been wrought for us by humiliation and the body as to think nothing unworthy about the one and selfsame glory of the Trinity. For although no mind is competent to think, no tongue to speak about God, Yet whatever that is which the human intellect apprehends about the essence of the Father's Godhead, unless one and the self-same truth is held concerning his only begotten or the Holy Spirit, our meditations are disloyal and beclouded by the intrusions of the flesh. And even that is lost, which seemed a right conclusion concerning the Father, because the whole trinity is forsaken, if the unity therein is not maintained, and that which is different by any inequality can, in no true sense, be one. When, therefore, we fix our minds on confessing the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, let us keep far from our thoughts the forms of things visible, the ages of beings born in time, and all material bodies and places. Let that which is extended in space, that which is enclosed by limit, and whatever is not always, everywhere, and entire, be banished from the heart. The conception of the triune Godhead must be put aside the idea of internal or of a grade. And if a man has attained any worthy thought of God, let him not dare to withhold it from any person therein, as if to ascribe with more honor to the Father that which he does not ascribe to the Son and Spirit. It is not true godliness to put the Father before the only begotten. Insult to the Son is insult to the Father. What is detracted from the one is detracted from both. For since their eternity and Godhead are alike common, the Father is not accounted either almighty and unchangeable if he begot one less than himself, or gained by having one whom he before he had not. The Lord Jesus does indeed say to his disciples as we read in the Gospels, If you love me, you would surely rejoice, because I go to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. But those ears which have often heard the words, I and the Father are one, and he that sees me also sees the Father, except the saying without supposing a difference of Godhead, or understanding it of that essence which they know to be co-eternal, and of the same nature with the Father. Man's uplifting, therefore, in the incarnation of the Word, is commended by the holy apostles also, and they who are distressed at the announcement of the Lord's departure from them are incited to eternal joy over the increase in their dignity. If you loved me, he says, you would assuredly rejoice, because I go to the Father." That is, if with complete knowledge you saw what glory is bestowed on you by the fact that, being begotten of the God the Father, I have been born of a human mother also, that being invisible I have made myself visible, that being eternal in the form of God I accepted the form of a slave, you would rejoice because I go to the Father. For to you is offered this ascension, and your humility is in me, raised to a place above all heavens as the Father's right hand. But I, who am with the Father, that which the Father is, abide undivided with my Father. And in coming from him to you, I do not leave him. Even as returning to him from you, I do not forsake you. Rejoice, therefore, because I go to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. For I have united you with myself, and have become son of man, that you might have power to be sons of God. 
and hence, though I am one in both forms, yet in that whereby I am conformed to you, I am less than the Father. Whereas in that whereby I am not divided from the Father, I am greater even than myself. And so let the nature which is less than the Father go to the Father, that the flesh may be where the word always is, and that is one faith of the Catholic Church may believe that he whom as man it does not deny to be less is equal as God with the Father. Accordingly, dear beloved, let us despise the vain and blind cunning of ungodly heretics, which flatters itself over its crooked interpretation of this sentence. And when the Lord says, All things that the Father has are mine, see John chapter 16, verse 15, does not understand that it takes away from the Father whatever it dares to deny the Son, and is so foolish in matters even which are human as to think, that what is his Father's has ceased to belong to his only begotten, because taken on him what is ours. Mercy in the case of God does not have lesser power, nor is a reconciliation of the creature whom he loves a falling of eternal glory. What the Father has, the Son also has, and what the Father and the Son have, the Holy Ghost also has, because the whole Trinity together is one God. But this faith is not the discovery of an earthly wisdom, nor the conviction of man's opinion. The only begotten Son has taught it himself, and the Holy Ghost has established it himself, concerning whom no other conception must be formed than is formed concerning the Father and the Son. Because albeit he is not the Father nor the Son, yet he is not separable from the Father and the Son. As he has his own personality in the Trinity, so has he one substance in the Godhead with the Father and the Son, filling all things, containing all things. And with the Father and the Son controlling all things, to whom is the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that is Pope St. Leo the Great's famous sermon on the indivisibility of God and how anything that belongs to one part of the Godhead belongs to all of them. For to take from one part of the Godhead is to diminish the Father or to diminish the Son or to diminish the Holy Ghost. I'm curious what you thought of this, if it helps to sort of set the stage for the great feast of Pentecost that we will all get to celebrate tomorrow at Mass. So let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.